Gracious and loving God, guide us to seek your truth. Come whence it may, cost what it will, lead where it might. Amen. This sermon begins with a disclaimer of what I ask of you as a listener. I do so because this sermon will address the topic of abortion. As a note, I wrote and planned this sermon before the Supreme Court's decision on Friday. I would have much preferred that decision to come out this upcoming week so that this sermon could have been heard reflectively and not reactively and with tensions as high as they are, but I will have to play the hand that we have been dealt. For one, I ask that you trust me. I hope that you all know that I love you and my only priority is pointing to the love of God. I would ask that you listen and re-listen if necessary to the sermon and then reflect on it and then examine those reactions and then finally after listening for the spirit to respond if necessary. This sermon also will be a little bit longer than normal, not that I can cover everything, but this is an important enough conversation not to have an artificial time limit put on it. Abortion is indeed a very controversial and difficult topic, this I know. The topic is discussed on the op-ed pages of the newspapers, around coffee tables, at marches, and on political commentary shows. And in all of those places, the conversations focus on whataboutisms, caricatures of the other side, and slogans that are full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now, of course, there are many churches that have made abortion a central issue. And personally, I think that that is an unhealthy focus for a church to have. It can be a part of the message, but not the message. But in many other congregations, abortion is rarely, if ever, discussed out of fear that it will anger people or bring politics into the church. We'll take that second concern first because it's the easiest one to address. Jesus a Jew, was crucified on a Roman cross. Anyone who wants their faith separate from their politics will need to find a different Messiah. And the concern about talking about hard things in church. If I had a magic wand and I could change the public reputation of the church, I would want people to think two things about us. One, that we love each other. And secondly, because of that love, we can talk about hard and meaningful things. For me, as a preacher, to ignore the most public conversation that our society has had in the last 50 years about ethics would be malpractice. To put it simply, if the church has nothing relevant to say, then we ought to just close up shop and support some other organization that is promoting reconciliation and discernment. What makes abortion such a difficult topic is that so many issues intersect with it. Because abortion is about the vocation of being a parent, the economy and poverty, sexual ethics, our responsibility to one another, biology and medical ethics, autonomy and self-determination. And if there was more time, I would get into the history of the debates around abortion in our society because they are both maddening and frustrating about how we have arrived at this particular historical moment. Part of the confounding issue is that the debate that we are having is the result of racism and the politicization of religion. 
In the 1970s, some of you might recall, leaders of the Southern Baptist Convention openly and proudly advocated for the position today often labeled as pro-choice. The story of how we got from there to here is one that I just don't have time to get into this morning, but it is worth your research. And because this is America, of course, there are elements of racism to that story. My point here, though, is to simply acknowledge how complicated this conversation is, because there are so many issues converging on it. This is also a difficult topic because, lest we forget it, this is a deeply pastoral issue. To be clear, the Supreme Court will never have an abortion. Congress will never have one, nor will any congregation. People, individuals, have abortions. Now, we can talk in the abstract all we want, but we can never forget that this is a deeply personal and traumatic issue for all involved. This is why, understandably, some feel attacked by the legislative and judicial debates. Because we know that both biologically and spiritually, when a pregnancy, planned or unplanned, wanted or unwanted, miscarried or birthed, occurs, a tremendous change has happened. And this is why demonizing, literally demonizing the other side has just got to stop. No one wants to kill babies or have a get out of jail free card. These are serious and personal experiences and should always be treated as such. In hearing confessions, I know the weight that women carry, even decades later. The reason why some have an abortion are as numerous as the people that choose them. And so we have to resist those broad brushstrokes that paint over the very personal nature of this conversation. I also want to acknowledge the fact that I have been planning, praying, and preparing for this sermon for about two months. I have talked to and read experts on the topic, and I have done my best to listen for the Holy Spirit's guidance on what needs to be said and what needs to be left unsaid. But you all have taken a perfectly good Sunday morning, put on some of your nicest clothes, and come to church not at all expecting a sermon like this one. I realize I am catching you off guard. And so if your heart rate is a little bit higher than normal, mine is as well, but let's just take a deep breath and do our best to listen for what the Spirit has to say through me and despite me. My purpose in this sermon is not to tell you what to think, but rather how to think about such topics. The focus today is abortion, but the points I am making could be applied to any other conversation about ethics or morality. If you hear me telling you what to think, please trust me, that is not my intention. My goal is simply to frame how we have such a conversation. The other goal of the sermon is to disrupt the narratives that we've been given. To paraphrase Jesus in today's gospel text, let the left worry about the left and the right worry about the right. If you believe a political platform more vigorously than you do the Nicene Creed or the Lord's Prayer, then this sermon likely will offend and disrupt you. Because I am not interested in having this conversation on the broken foundation that the Supreme Court and Congress uses. I am not interested in misleading or oversimplified labels like pro-life or pro-choice. Instead, my goal is to do as Jesus said when he tells us, follow me. 
In this and in every conversation, lenses matter. The words we use and the tone we take makes a lot of difference. As you might know, there are linguists and political strategists whose job is to come up with words and phrases to manipulate public perception of issues. As an example, it has been tested by political scientists that if Medicare expansion had successfully been called Medicare extension, it would have led to a 15-point swing in public perception of that topic. In terms of politics, that is a massive difference. And it's also true when it comes to abortion. When we say pro-choice, that does not mean that someone is pro-abortion. But that's how the other side takes it. Likewise, when someone is pro-life, that does not mean that they are pro-authoritarianism. Our faith proclaims that the word was made flesh. And so we understand the importance of words and need to be very careful about how we use them. Also, I hope it's obvious that this is not an op-ed piece. I am not so delusional as to think that any Supreme Court justice will ever hear this sermon. I'm not speaking to those out there. This sermon is written for followers of Jesus and probably won't make much sense outside of that context. The word that Christians need to have in mind as we consider abortion is gift. The primary lens for considering this or any other topic is that of gift. Gift, as you might know, is one way to translate that Greek word that we know as grace. So through and through, our frame is the gracious love of God. And thinking about abortion in terms of a gift does several things for us. For one, it reminds us of the very first gift that we were all given. In Genesis 1, we are gifted with the creation in the image of God. Now, the reason why I am preaching this sermon on this Sunday is because of the first sentence in the reading from Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, the problem is, as Americans, we misunderstand what freedom is. Freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. Of course, it would take me a whole other sermon to dive into what Christians really mean by freedom. But the short version is that freedom means that we are not in debt and we are not in bondage. And so part of the image-bearing gift that we have been given is responsibility for using our freedom properly. And that language of responsibility is one that Christians need to have more in our vocabulary. Christians do not believe in rights precisely because we believe in gifts. A right implies that in and of ourselves we have deserved something. But this is not the case. All that we have is a gift from our gracious and loving creator. Christians do not have a right to commit adultery, lie, steal, own guns, or have an abortion. We do not have rights, but we have responsibilities. And that is what it means to be gifted with God's image. Framing abortion as a choice is so unhelpful because for so many women, women, they would say they have no choice. And this is because too many Christians have abandoned our responsibilities to one another. We are complicit in a broken economic system, in a subpar public education model, in a racist and classist society, in a hyper-sexualized culture. It's so easy to put the responsibility solely on a woman 
but any unwanted pregnancy is not her problem. It is ours. That's what it means to be gifted with God's image. Abortion may well happen in an individual body, but it is a reflection of us all. Secondly, the language of gift helps us to reframe the discussion about when life begins, which is always a losing conversation. When life begins is a discussion for philosophy, rooted in medicine and technology, which change all the time. Christians do not concern ourselves about when life begins, because Christians are a people who always hope that it has. Jesus says that he came that we might have an abundance of life. Our lives are not our own, they are gifts from God, which is why they are so precious. So don't get sucked into that debate about when, but rather remember that as Christians, our anchor is in the hope that God is always up to something new. Next, if we view this discussion through the lens of a gift, it means that we have to always remain humble because a gift implies that we do not know it all and we do not have all of the answers. Christians are people who remember Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge so that you may not be judged. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own? Scripture actually gives us the Christian response to abortion, compassion. When Jesus encounters a woman who had been caught in adultery and was about to be punished for it, he does not condemn her, but rather shows her compassion. And he tells those who are about to stone her to only throw a stone if they are without sin. And then Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you after everyone has walked away. Now to be clear, abortion is always, always a tragedy, either because of the situation that led to it or because it represents a further gift of God that will not come to be. Whether it is a miscarriage or a medical abortion, fetal loss is always something to lament. We live in a fallen world and we are surrounded by sin. Both the Psalms and Romans reminds us that no one is righteous, not one. And so the Christian response to those who are caught up in brokenness is not judgment, but mercy. The example Jesus gives us is that of compassion. Lastly, the most important aspect of viewing our lives through the lens of gift is that it makes us stewards, not owners. The one thing about the abortion of the debate that makes me the most uncomfortable as a Christian is when people say things like, my body, my choice. Because for Christians, this simply is not the case. These are not our bodies because they are gifts from God. We are stewards of them, but they are not ours. And this also means that no one else should ever have any dominion or control over someone else's body, whether in terms of legislation or slavery. When we are baptized, we are baptized into the body of Christ. Our bodies belong to Christ, not to ourselves. Yes, God grants us the gift of stewardship and the use of our bodies, but our lives are not ours to do with as we please. This goes back to that discussion about what freedom is and is not. We are to use our bodies, our lives, our intellects, our gifts to respond to God's grace with praise and love. And so sometimes we have to make decisions 
about how to use the gift that we've been given in our bodies in an imperfect world. And we do so with humility. For Christians, abortion is a decision to be discerned after much prayer and guidance from our tradition. Of course, in a perfect world, there would be no need for this conversation or for abortion. But that's not a world we live in. Here, we acknowledge that none of us are perfect and our decisions will never be perfect. And so Christians are always ready to confess our sins and to rely on the gracious mercy of God. Through prayer, discernment, and conversation with trusted religious leaders, we strive to be faithful stewards of these gifts that we have been given. And this will lead some to discern that abortion is the least bad option. Others will come to a different determination. But either way, the lens of gift fundamentally changes how we have this conversation and live with the result. The other important thing that Christians need to think about in this conversation is what we should hope and pray for when it comes to a political solution. Again, when I wrote this sermon, I did not know when the court's decision would be announced. I know that some are celebrating it, some are criticizing it. I will not tell you how to react. But I want to raise the question of whether or not Christians ought to be looking to the government for our salvation. More broadly, is the role of the church to lobby for political actions? For most of us, obviously, well, it depends on what the issue is. The danger, though, for Christians is idolatry. When we look to the state to transform society, then we have forgotten what the story is all about. Jesus did not live, die, and rise to make us better people or to give us a nicer place to live. Jesus liberates us from our sins so that we can live as image bearers of God. If we put too much emphasis on what the laws ought to be and the state, then we are back under a burden to be freed from. And this is why St. Paul cautions the Galatians and us to stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, to tie our hopes and our morality to the decisions of nine secular judges is absolutely to put on a yoke of slavery because none of them are the good shepherd. The narrative that our culture has given us forces us to put the cart in front of the horse. We don't push for certain laws hoping that one day we will have justice. Rather, we strive for justice today so that our laws and society reflect who we hope to be. The role of the church is not to transform society. It is to be the church, the beloved community of the body of Christ in this world. As Christians, we bring the language of gift to this conversation about abortion. We are a people who have the responsibility to help others realize and receive the gifts that God intends for them. We are a people who show compassion and mercy to all those who are unable to perfectly use their gifts in an imperfect world. We are a people who realize that gifts are to be used not however we want, but in accordance with the image of our gracious gift giver. We are a people who follow Jesus in the way of compassion and love so that even when we disagree, society might look at us and say, look at how they love one another. I truly pray that this sermon is helpful and that you hear it as an aid in helping you to do your own thinking on this topic, not at all 
telling you what to think. And you'll notice that I have not answered the question of whether or not abortion is morally acceptable or not, and I have not said what we should hope the court does, because those are the wrong questions. The question for Christians is instead, how do we more fully and faithfully receive, show gratitude for, and steward the gifts that God has graced us with? And when we fall short of that, how do we rely on the grace of God?